Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Matthew 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Heavenly Father, we pray once again tonight that you would give us ears to hear, ears to hear you speak. And tonight we especially pray that uh, through what you say, you would unveil to us great treasures, wonderful things in your words. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please do sit down. If you're, as you are sitting down, you can turn back to Matthew chapter 13, the, the passage that Ali just read for us. It's on page 980 of the Bibles. Um, also, amongst the bits of paper you were given on the way in, uh, there's an outline. You can use that to follow along or make notes if you would like. A little while ago, when I was serving at a church in London, I can remember being very struck by a story told by one of my colleagues. He'd been witnessing over some time to a non-Christian friend, uh, doing it, in fact, for many, many years, but then was politely asked by his friend to stop doing it. Why, he asked. What is it about the Christian message that you can't believe? Oh, I do believe it. Uh, was the surprising response. It's just that I've got too much to lose. That's enormously frustrating to hear something like that, isn't it? But I suspect it's not all that uncommon. Now, many of us here this evening, um, faced with that same choice, uh, back at the beginning of our Christian lives, uh, decided by the grace of God that the, the cost of discipleship would not put us off from following Jesus, and uh, we can be very thankful for that, very grateful for that. But that was back then. Back then, it may well have been easier to do that. It is, in, in many ways, isn't it, relatively easy to give up everything for Jesus when you don't have that much to give up. But now we're older, and uh, some of us are richer, not all of us, but some of us, And we've put down roots and found good friendships and grown our families. And perhaps, you know, things feel quite comfortable and sorted, certainly compared to how they used to be. Now we do have something to lose. So even though most of us here tonight, I suspect, would uh, say that we still believe the gospel, 
Somehow some of the energy and the passion has gone. We're less prepared to take risks. We hold on to things perhaps a little too tightly. So it's not straightforward, is it, to, to find the confidence in the first place to follow Jesus uh, when it feels, if it feels like that we've got too much to lose. Uh, and also, if we once had that confidence, you know, on fire for Jesus once, it's not so straightforward to keep it. So what can we do? Well, what we're doing over these uh, few weeks is to turn to Jesus and to listen to his teaching on these things in Matthew chapter 13. And we're the last of those tonight, last of those sermons tonight. And this time, if we're willing to listen to him, he's going to address those struggles to commit and to persevere. And he's going to do that by uncovering some great treasures for us. He's going to uncover the value of the kingdom for us, uh, but also the cost of being outside it, And then finally, the privilege of teaching it. And I think we'll see tonight that Jesus' purpose here is very, very clear and simple. That we invest everything in the kingdom. Now, if you've not been around these last few weeks, you might be wondering what all that is about. Invest in what? Remember, Jesus' main teaching, his main message has been all about the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is near, is what he's been proclaiming. Uh, That is, we live in a universe where heaven, representing the good rule of God, and and earth where we are in rebellion against him, all of that has been split apart by sin. But Jesus has announced a time is coming when heaven and earth are going to be joined back together in one truly united kingdom. That's the kingdom Jesus is talking about, the kingdom of heaven. And he's saying, invest everything you have, everything you have in being a part of that kingdom And as I've laid out on the handout, we're just going to look at that tonight. And three good reasons tonight for investing everything in the kingdom. First, because of the value of the kingdom. Second, because of the cost of being outside it. And uh, thirdly and lastly, and more briefly, because of the privilege of teaching it. Uh, So take a look with me first at at the two stories in verses 44 through to 46 of our passage. Matthew 13, 44 to 46. Invest everything, says Jesus, because of the value of the kingdom, the value of being a part of it. This is what Jesus says. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. I do love that picture of a man selling everything with joy in verse 44. And the merchant Uh, Likewise, selling everything he had in verse 46. I wonder what it must have been like in their households uh, that evening. Let's imagine them as neighbours. You know, the first man runs back home. He digs out every important document he can find. He sells every policy, every investment, his pension, 
absolutely everything, empties every bank account. Then the merchant gets home a little later perhaps, runs around the house, picking up everything, taking it outside for the largest yard sale the street has ever seen. He sells the car, he sells the caravan, absolutely everything, so he can buy that pearl. His poor wife comes home and collapses with panic. The wife of the first man is running around, tearing her hair out, jumping up and down. What are you doing? What, I, what are you doing? I should have listened to my mother about you. <laughs> but he picks her up, gives her a huge hug. I haven't gone crazy, he says. I have gone far from crazy. You'll see. They're great start stories, aren't they? Although a little puzzling in some ways, some people do get a bit hung up on the, on the ethics of these stories. Yeah, so we might wonder, you know, isn't that first man being a little deceptive, you know, going back, hiding the treasure, not telling the original owner about the treasure? You know, and aren't they both being a little, well, you know, greedy, materialistic? Uh, but that really is to miss the point here. The point is that, you know, we can understand why they might behave like that. We can understand how someone who discovers something of great value might sell absolutely everything to get a hold of it. Well, likewise, says Jesus, as you discover the value of being a part of the kingdom, you will want to invest absolutely in everything to be there. Otherwise, right at the heart of both these stories is the discovery of something valuable. In both stories, the men have, if you like, inside information on, on the field, the treasure in the field, and then the pearl uh, that others perhaps do not have. Uh, so I guess this is the first potential obstacle to us investing in the kingdom. Have we yet discovered its value? Have we come to appreciate it so much that it fills us with joy when we hear about it and discover it, like the first man in the stories? You see, for some, the very idea of relating to God is so distasteful that they wouldn't want to have anything to do with it, even if it were true. I knew a professor at University College London who was often saying that the idea of praising God forever simply made him feel nauseous now he doesn't believe that the kingdom is coming uh, let alone near but even if he did he wouldn't want to be there for others some may have such a sort of hazy ill-informed view of, of what being in the kingdom will be like that you know really it doesn't seem very attractive at all for example if you've picked up the idea from somewhere that Christians believe that when you die you, you go to heaven and then float about in some sort of disembodied state for all eternity well you might well be excused for not finding that terribly exciting so it is important isn't it to to listen very carefully to what Jesus actually says about the kingdom and when we do that we discover it's it's not just about heaven it's about heaven and earth heaven and earth reunited in other words it's going to be a physical earthly place where we'll have real bodies real physical experiences we can identify with even now except of course they'll be incomparably greater not least because as we were thinking about last time it's all going to be stripped clean of evil and everything that causes evil and in that place the good glory of God will fill everything and Jesus had said 
that as we bask in his blessing and love, we will shine like the sun. Discover that and discover it's true and discover that it's accessible through Jesus, well, then it becomes absolutely reasonable, doesn't it, to be filled with joy. But I've been reflecting on these last days uh, how we might lose confidence in that value over time. You know, perhaps we once did feel it. Perhaps in some ways we still believe in it, as what I've just said. But the joy has gone. Why is that? And what can we do about it? I came across a very interesting survey just last week. Not very large or scientific, I think, but nonetheless quite compelling. Asking the reasons why people drift away from church and then frequently abandon the Christian faith altogether. And interestingly, in this survey, ceasing to believe it's true didn't feature very highly. You know, it was there, but in some ways it wasn't top of the list. Among the things that did feature, though, a whole host of them were related to our experience of church. What causes people to leave? What causes people then to fall away? And this is what people said. Disunity and confusion among churches. Other Christians not living out their beliefs. Bad behaviour. Childish church politics. So why does this cause people's faith to crumble, their joy to disintegrate? Well, it could be because the, one of the best insights we get now into the value of the kingdom in the future is actually here in the church and as our experience as a church family throughout the week. We may not think it through, but it's a sort of obvious association to make, isn't it? So if I were to ask you, how do you think the kingdom will be? You might well think, well, I suppose a bit like this. After all, you know, this is, this is Christians gathered together in unity around the Lord Jesus, and that's what the kingdom's going to be. In terms of actual experience, this is, in some ways, all we've got to go on. So I wonder what kind of evening you're having. Maybe it's good. That would be good. Maybe it's mixed. You know, the songs have been good, but the speaker's going on a bit. Can't understand a word he's saying. Or I might ask you, what's your experience of Christchurch Fool as a, as a church family? Again, maybe it's good. Maybe it's mixed. Maybe it's really poor. Chances are the quality of your experience could well affect how you think about that future kingdom. Now that, of course, is a huge challenge to us as a church family. Because what it means is we therefore have an opportunity to illustrate some of the value of the kingdom. But in reality, we may well be falling short of what it should look like. We would like to be a family of love. With our meetings full of joy. But that may not have been your experience. Uh, We would like to be a place of patience and forgiveness. But your experience might have been one of grumpiness and anger. We would like this church family to be one where the lonely are, are cared for. 
where those who are unsupported in other ways can find love and support, where people caught up in sin and evil can find a welcome, can find love, and can find the forgiveness of Jesus. But you know, you might fall into one of these categories, and you've come here, and you've not found it like that. And if your experience has been a bad one, and this may well be the case for some of us here tonight, you do have a potential problem. You've got to be very careful at this point not to extrapolate. Sure, it's good to have high expectations of a church family. Uh, as a church family, we do want those high expectations. But here's the thing, don't make your endurance with Jesus conditional upon those expectations being met. Because if you do that, you are setting yourself up for a fall. Let me warn you, you are setting yourself up for an inevitable fall. Because there will come a time when those expectations are not met. It should be obvious, but it does need spelling out. In the kingdom, all the bad things, all the grumpiness, all the infighting, all the worldly politics, the inconsistencies, the disunity, all those things will have been weeded out. The place to look, therefore, is uh, where there has been love, service, and self-sacrifice. And believe me, there actually, you may not have noticed it, there actually is plenty of that around. And that's much, much more what the kingdom will be like. Only, of course, again, the kingdom will be better. And that's what makes it worth selling everything for. Of course, that's the other thing that's common to both stories. Selling everything. Verse 44, he went and sold everything he had. Verse 46, he went away, sold everything he had. So, of course, I think we should desperately want to know what that means in practice. But hold on for a moment. Hold on for a moment. So we can take a look at the next parable here. Verses 47 through to 50. Here's the second thing. Invest everything. Invest everything, says Jesus because of the cost of being outside their kingdom. This is what Jesus says from verse 47. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. And you'll notice the idea is obviously very similar to the parable of the weeds we looked at last time. So a dragnet is run through the lake and as it runs through the lake, it picks up all kinds of fish. You know, before we had a mixed field, you know, weeds and wheat. Now we've got a mixed catch. And just as before, we, we have some waiting to do. The, the fishermen wait until the net is full. And then they pull it to the shore and they sort out the fish. And the, the good fish go one way, the bad fish go the other. Same way as the weeds, thrown away. But in this shorter parable, that, that throwing away gets more emphasis here. And Jesus says, and it's very stark, isn't it? Jesus says, this is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come in and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That image of... Um, Weeping and gnashing of teeth appears quite a number of times in Matthew's gospel to describe what it's going to be like outside the kingdom. You see, inside the kingdom, there's going to be no weeping, only unbridled joy. 
Outside, only regret and bitterness. So it should be clear then, shouldn't it? Do not be so foolish as to underestimate the severity of the future apart from the will and purposes of God. If you go that way, you will be bitterly regretting it forever. In 2009, the BBC News reported uh, that a Tel Aviv woman had uh, been searching through an Israeli rubbish dump, uh, through all the Israeli rubbish dumps, in fact, after she'd accidentally thrown away a mattress containing $1 million in cash. Uh, The woman had thought she'd done a kind thing, buying a new mattress for her mother as a surprise, and she'd thrown the old one away. When she realised her mistake, she rushed out to retrieve the mattress, but it had already been taken away. She hurried down to the local dump, only to find that the mattress had been shipped to one of the larger landfill sites, along with 3,000 tonnes of rubbish collected that day. I imagine that it must have been fairly tense around the dinner table that evening. Plenty of weeping and gnashing of teeth, indeed. And as far as I know, they never found that mattress. They never found it. Which means that there's a very good chance that that woman has been living with regret ever since and may well do so for the rest of her life. And that might sound bad enough to us. But now compare that to the foolishness of throwing away a place in the kingdom and a regret that will last for eternity. So I hope you can see what Jesus is doing here. On the one hand, in the kingdom, a future of incalculable value. On the other, outside of it, destruction. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. So invest everything in the kingdom. Now let's suppose we're persuaded by that. And let's suppose the Lord convinces us that this this kingdom really is going to happen. You know, we listen to Jesus. We look at his resurrection. We see that that resurrection really did happen. We see that it's a foretaste of the reality of of the kingdom. And we're convinced it's going to happen. And let's suppose that the Lord in his mercy gives us some patience you know, so we're, we're less concerned about what happens right now. We're, we're, we're not fighting for it, grasping for it quite so much. We're much more concerned about the future. And as we look to that future, we, you know, we see the incalculable value of being in the kingdom and the, the cost of being outside. And now we're like that first man, finding the treasure hidden in the field. But the thing is, what then? What next? Like him, we want to sell everything to be there. But what does selling everything look like? What does it actually mean to invest everything in the kingdom? That's that's the key question here, I guess. And to help us get a clear answer based on what Jesus has said in this chapter, I'm going to take us back a little earlier in the chapter to the parable of the sower, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago. So so take a look with me. So you need to turn back a page to verse 19 of the chapter. And uh, remember very quickly what the, the parable of the sow is all about. Uh, four soils, 
representing different responses to the, to the news of the kingdom. And uh, what's good about going back to this parable and Jesus' explanation of it is that it's going to show us both what it looks like when investment in the kingdom is lacking uh, and also what it looks like when it's there. So from verse 19, take, the, take the first the, the seed that was sown on the path in that parable. Remember, this is about hearing, but not really hearing, not understanding it. This person, in other words, has failed to invest in listening. So here's the first thing, invest in listening. This is what it means to sell everything for the kingdom. Invest in listening. Hear and understand what he says about the kingdom. Hear his call to follow him. Listen to his teaching. We'll take next the seed that fell on rocky places. Verse 21, this represents the one who falls away when trouble or persecution comes. This is a person, in other words, who has failed to invest in suffering, in the endurance that allows us to go through suffering. So invest in that, says Jesus. It's not about seeking the suffering out, but it is about investing in the endurance that will take us through it. Don't be surprised by it when it happens. Rather, with our eyes on the kingdom, let's endure it, just as Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. Or take the seed that fell among the thorns, verse 22. This represents the one choked by the deceits of wealth and the worries of this life. We might put it this way. This is a person who's failed to invest in generosity. So invest in generosity. After all, money and wealth lose their value now, once you've seen the value of the kingdom. It's still useful, of course, and, but now we can use it out of love and service. And in support of mission. And then finally take the seed that fell on good soil. Verse 23. This represents the one who hears and understands and is fruitful. What does it mean? How do we invest in the kingdom? What does it mean to be fruitful? Well, of course, by listening to, and learning to Jesus about how to be fruitful. How to be light in a dark world. How to depend on our heavenly father. How to go out with the news of the kingdom. How to live and love and forgive as a community. How to persevere. How to make disciples in all the nations. Learning from Jesus and then doing, being fruitful in all the world. Some time ago now, uh, Howard Guinness uh, wrote a little book called Sacrifice outlining uh, some of the Christian men and women in history who are the great heroes, I guess, of Christian history who gave themselves fully to the task of mission and Christian service. Uh, And in that book, he included uh, these questions towards the end. Where are the young men and women of this generation who will hold their lives cheap and be faithful even unto death? Where are those who will live their lives for Christ's sake, flinging them away out of love for him? Where are those who will live dangerously and be reckless in his service? One of his books, uh, Vaughan Roberts, reflects on that quotation. And uh, he very honestly says this. He says, 
I've heard questions like that put in talks many, many times. And I've often responded inwardly, yes, Lord, I want to go all out for you. I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything for you. Uh, But then he admits, how quickly the fire in my heart grows cold. I wonder if you're feeling a little bit like that now. You know, you've probably heard sermons like this one before. Perhaps even many times. This is just another. Well, just as we finish, let me add one more thing. Just one little thing to the mix. And uh, this is from the the final verses of this passage. uh, Verses uh, 51 and 52. So turn back to... uh, the end of the chapter, verses 51 and 52. Invest everything, says Jesus, because of the privilege of teaching about the kingdom. Have you understood all these things, Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. I often read that and think, really? Anyway, eventually they understood, we imagine. And then verse uh, 52. Uh, and probably now it's actually better follow that the, uh, the translation I've got printed on the handout, which is uh, slightly more helpful. Jesus said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in or, or for the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. In other words, this is what Jesus is saying to his disciples at the end of the chapter. If you have received from me the secrets of the kingdom, because that's what he's been uncovering in this chapter, and if you have understood those secrets, then you have received information of incalculable value. It's like you've been given the ticket to, to great treasure, a huge inheritance. But actually, it's more than that. It's not just about you. Because this is treasure that you can give away without losing any yourself. That's the wonderful, privileged position of being a disciple who's also a teacher for the kingdom of heaven. Now, we can understand something of this, I think, because if we ever have anything material to give away, and and we do give it away... Most of us will know how genuinely good that feels. Now, what a good thing that is. Well, says Jesus here, now all of you have something incalculably valuable to give away. Uh, I've got many, many uh, favorite verses in Matthew's gospel. But of all of them, I think verse 52 here is the the most personal for me. Uh, As a teacher of the kingdom, this is what I aspire to. This is what encourages me. And if you're a teacher in this church family in one way or the other, or aspire to be one, I hope it encourages you too. But even if you haven't been set apart for, for a teaching role, this should still encourage you. You see, every disciple of Jesus has been given the news of the kingdom, this treasure to give away. And it's a marvellous, marvellous thing to give this treasure away and to make and build disciples for the kingdom of heaven. So 
So as we finish, let me go back to that person I began with, the one who said, well, you know, I do believe it, but no thanks, no thanks. I've got too much to lose. Was he right? Well, even without knowing how much he did have to lose, and maybe it was considerable, I don't know. I can say with confidence, no. Was he right? No. He had nothing. He miscalculated. What about us as we accumulate things over time, stuff? Do we have too much to lose? Can we ever reach that state? Same answer, said with confidence. No. Even if those things do have some value, it's nothing, absolutely nothing, compared to the value of being in the kingdom. So for the sake of the kingdom, we sit loose to those things. We, we let go of them when we need to. We're ready to take risks. We're ready to sacrifice. We're ready to give away. Has Jesus then shown us enough in Matthew chapter 13 as we draw to the end of this series? Has he shown us enough to do all of that, to stake everything, to invest everything in the kingdom? Has he shown us enough to do that? Well, yes. Said with confidence. Yes, he has. Well, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we do want to thank you for uncovering many, many amazing things for us through this chapter. Uh, so many things we don't see on the surface, but amazingly you have revealed uh, them to us. And uh, tonight especially we thank you for revealing uh, to us the value of being in the kingdom and just how incomparably great that is. And uh, we pray that that would have a, a profound effect on us uh, tonight and onwards in our Christian life. We pray for radical discipleship sacrificial discipleship. Lord, change us tonight and send us out with that attitude to your praise and glory. And in Jesus' name, amen.